Hello, I'm Heat. And I'm Rocket Kid. And this is Ordinary Chaos. A podcast about ordinary life. Because you don't have to be famous to be interesting. What's normal for me might be unusual for me. Let's do this! Today with another artist. We are here today with Nicole Simmons, owner, founder, creator, everything person at Dig the Bag, where she makes amazing bags. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm super excited to have you here. So we're here to talk about your bags and your bag business. How did that start? Okay, so it actually started uh, in my adult life, in my, in my mid-30s is when I started to learn to sew. So, I mean, I could go back and tell you where my obsession of bags started, which was way further back than that. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but I've always just loved handbags and totes and wallets and all those things. And um, I think that it's kind of a weird thing to be obsessed with, I think. And so I've thought a lot about like, why am I so into making these bags, like just bags? I think it started because I love the idea of something that's fun and fashionable and unique and something that I can wear that doesn't have anything to do with my body. So, you know, growing up in a world where you're self-conscious about what you're wearing and how you look, and there's so much emphasis on your image and all of that stuff, that I, every time there was a Christmas or a birthday or anything like that, I wanted a new handbag because it's something that could like make a statement that had nothing to do with my self-image. So that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, it's something I've thought about a lot. Like, why? Why handbags of all things? You could sew anything, right? So then, but I was terrible at sewing. Like, I didn't own a sewing machine. I had like uh, one home economics class in high school and um, I sewed a pillow and it was terrible and (laughs) I was not into it. So I thought that that wasn't my thing. And then what happened was several years ago, my, I had, I have two kids. My daughter at the time was around four. I was getting into starting out, getting into homeschooling her. And I was like, just preschool type stuff, you know, just starting out on what can I do to kind of engage her in some things. And I found this uh, program called five in a row, which is really, really cool homeschooling program for preschool, kindergarten age kids, where the point of the program is that for five days a week, Monday through Friday, you read your child the same piece of classic children's literature. And each day you then branch off after reading them that story into different activities that kind of go along with that story. So if the story is set in, say, in China, suddenly you're talking about like Asian, Asian cultures, you're talking about, you know, what they eat and what they wear and their history and things like that. So we read this book called, I think it was called The Rag Coat. And it's a beautiful story about a girl who I forget when, and of course, I forget when and where it's set, but it's an older book. And she's, they live far from school and it's in a time when they don't have cars and things like that. The dad gets sick and they don't have a lot of money and she can't get to school because it's wintertime and she can't walk there literally without freezing and they don't have enough money to buy her a coat. So the community of moms gets together and with they all quilt for money and they take their scraps of quilt and they give them all to the mom and they all work together to quilt her out of just their scraps, a beautiful rag coat. And then she can go to school. It's a gorgeous story, actually. It's a really good kid's book. A little sad, but 
really good. So one of the branch off lessons from that story for each day, you do like one science, you do one, do a math or whatever. One of the branch off lessons was to learn about quilting and sewing and sewing machines and what a quilt is and how it's constructed. And if you have a sewing machine, they, they show you, you know, a simple little project that you can do and things like that. So I didn't have a sewing machine. But I do have a sister-in-law who's an amazing seamstress and I borrowed her spare sewing machine. And Eva and I, being four years old, she had zero interest in this, by the way. (laughs) She was like this. She was like, no, this is just something else, mom. But but I was like, okay, we're going to learn what a quilt is and we're going to learn how to sew. And I didn't think that it was going to be anything that stuck with me. I just thought it was going to be a good, a cool little lesson for her. And we put together a little quilt. You know, we talked about how you do it. We, we went to Joanne fabric and we picked out the fabric and we, she got to pick the color coordinations and all of that. And we went home and we read the instructions and we, we sewed a quilt on this little spare sewing machine. And I, it was like the coolest feeling in the world. When we were done, she had this little blanket and I don't know why that didn't occur to me back when I was making the pillow. I mean, <laughs> maybe just pillows weren't my thing, but the quilt was really, really cool. So I just kept that little sewing machine and just started making other things like what else can I make and then immediately it was like I'm gonna make a bag you know I learned how to make like a little straw a little drawstring bag and then I started selling I remember the drawstring bag remember yeah so, <laughs> I went and I found these coordinated fat quarter pieces of fabric at Joann's I guess and I brought them home and they were really pretty prints and everything and I just started piecing them together like you would a quilt and made these laundry bags like laundry size drawstring bags and at the time, it was like, I'm spending an awful lot of time sewing things that don't need to be sewn, <laughs> like that don't need to be made. I have, I should be more productive with my time. So I should either start selling the things I'm sewing or just get over it and, and get on with <laughs> doing something else. So that's how the bag making began. Laundry bags, drawstring bags on Etsy. And I still have that Etsy shop. It has gone through a lot of kind of makeovers and it's had some identity crises along the way, crises along the way, but it, it's still there. It, I changed its name a few times. There was a whole time when I did the essential oil bag. I kind of just followed the need that people were, were telling me they, they needed. So I started out doing laundry bags just because it was an easy bag I could do and sell. And then I think it was my, my other sister-in-law who at the time who was really into essential oils. And somehow that got me started on making little bags for people to transport their oils. That ended up being called essential oil totes. And I started doing that for a while. And then I ended up on some like business Facebook group where you're learning how to kind of keep your handmade business up and running and and grow it and things like that. And in that group, I posted a picture of my, one of my bags asking, I think about like photography or something along those things. And a person, someone who I love dearly now, who I've never even met in life, a good friend of mine, online friend was like, well, I don't know, but I, I got to talk to you about those bags because I have a specific need that I have that maybe you could help me with. And then I started making bags for lip scents. People who, you know, sell the makeup because she had that specific need where she would go out and want to be able to display her products that she was selling on the go. And so I started making bags with like clear vinyl windows and then that kind of took off and I did that for a while. So it's, it's been a lot of different bags in a lot of different ways, but that's the, the basic story. Well, that is so fun for me to learn because I've seen all of these bags pop up. Like I remember the oil bags and I remember the lip sense bags and 
had wrongly assumed that you had gotten into oils and that you had gotten into lip scents and that you were making the bags to go with them. And I shouldn't have assumed that because I never saw you hawking oils. I only saw you hawking bags. <laughs> nope, never oils. Never. Now I will say that um, I did, I did use both products because I felt like I definitely felt like I should know what it was. I was trying to bag up. I guess, you know, with, with oils, like for instance, it was like, okay, you can't use certain materials or oil will eat away at the material. So I did carry the products. I did do that myself. I used the oils. I used the lip scents and I used my bags along with them because I wanted to kind of test them out. And I, I kind of got an idea of like what materials worked best and what designs worked best and things like that. And I did love both of those products actually. And I did have to take a break from bag making during life changes and moves and things like that for quite a while. So there was a time when I wasn't doing it at all. And now I was I'm so just... happy when you started again. I was yeah. so happy. I was too. You know, what's so funny. It was one of those things that I didn't realize how much I missed it until I started doing it again. It was like when the pandemic hit and people needed masks. I joke now because it was like, I just need a sewing machine to sew masks for the people, you know, like people need masks. <laughs> and then I, my, my sewing machine, my first sewing machine that I got as an adult, after I gave back the, the borrowed machine, I went, I had gone to Walmart bought myself an $80 like plastic brother sewing machine. And that does not make bags, by the way, if you want to make bags, do not use an $80 plastic Walmart brother sewing machine. (laughs) It doesn't do so great on things other than like the drawstring laundry bags. But I had given that to my cousin. She was looking for a sewing machine after I didn't need it anymore. And when this all happened this past year, I said, I need a sewing machine online so I can make these masks that people need. And my aunt was like, I have the machine that you gave your cousin ages ago. And so I got that one back and I started making masks. And I literally, it was just like me and this little plastic sewing machine again. I had none of my equipment anymore. That was all gone. I had nothing. And within like three months, it was like, uh, I made a meme about it in one of my sewing groups. It was like, it started with this one machine. Like, I just need one, any sewing machine, like just to sew the masks. And then it was like, oh, there's uh, an industrial and there's now an vintage. And now I've got all this vinyl everywhere and zippers and everything else. And it was like, okay, Nicole, maybe you didn't just need one sewing machine. (laughs) Maybe you were just, you know, angling for a reason to get back into your your craft. Well, I think when you stopped, there was so much going on. Yeah. Yeah. That you didn't even have emotional space to notice that it was gone because so much else was happening. Yes. I think it was, it had reached a point right before I stopped doing it where it actually felt a little burdensome rather than fun to me to have it, even though it's something I love just because it was one extra thing. And my brain was just filled with a million life changes and things going on all at once. And this is not the kind of thing that you do if it's not enjoyable. There are jobs that you do, whether you enjoy them or not, and that's okay. You do them because it, it helps you to provide for yourself and your family and all of those things. And this is not really one of those things. This is not like it's expensive to keep up. It's um, a lot of unpaid extra work off the online shop, you know, and that's fine. It's fun for me. So that's okay. But it's definitely not something you do if it's starting to feel like a burden. If it's starting to feel like a burden, you go get a job at the, the local convenience store or something <laughs> because <laughs> it's just going to be about as enjoyable as that otherwise. Right. So how do you, how do you decide what to make? I mean, I've seen your collection and you have all sorts of different bag types and all sorts of different patterns. And like, there's a lot of decisions 
Yeah. And I would, I would look at, at that blank slate and freeze. Sometimes I do freeze. So sometimes it has to do with custom orders. Sometimes I'll get a custom order and whatever the person is ordering kind of like sparks my interest. And then I'll go from, from there and I'll make their order, but then I'll take that idea and I'll go like, what can I make with this idea? That's more just something that I love to make because what I'll do is part of my business is sewing the bags, but a big part of my business is selling the sewing patterns to other people who make bags and sharing the information, that kind of thing. So a lot of times it'll be, what did this customer want and need? And then I'll take that and transfer it over into something more like a, a general idea. So a customer might say, I really want a crossbody that, and I'm using this as an example, this didn't happen, but they, but they might say, I really want a crossbody that actually fits my iPad so that when I go places, I can bring my iPad, but it's not too big because everywhere I go, I'm getting a tote that's huge, and I don't need all that space, but it's the only thing that fits my iPad or something like that, you sure. know, and then mm -hmm. I'll go from there and I'll make that. And then if I like it, then I'll turn that into like a sewing pattern or I'll turn that into a product that I make and list on my shop or that kind of thing. And then sometimes I get ideas from straight up Instagram or I'll just be scrolling because Instagram, the, they have my number, like, they're like <laughs> <laughs> we know what she wants to see. And so my feed is just full of suggested accounts that are just like all these beautiful bags and they're everything from like high-end bags by like really high-end designers to bespoke type bags and that kind of thing. And so sometimes I'll just see them and be like, I want to make that. That looks amazing, you know? And I've done that a couple of times too. And sometimes other sewing groups, like I'm in a lot of sewing groups where I get inspiration from other people or some print of a fabric will be like, that fabric needs to be this bag. Or I'll see a bag and be like, that bag needs to be made in this print. That would look so cool. A lot of different places. Nice. Nice, nice. And so you're selling them on Etsy. Mm -hmm. And we're going we're gonna to get all your information and share that at the end. How do you decide what they cost? So typically, there's two different ways that I do it. And then I kind of meet somewhere in the middle. I'll, I know how much I have to pay for the materials. I have an average hourly rate that I'll give myself, but I'm very flexible on that. Like I'm my only employee. I'm a pretty easy employee. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, if you can only make this much per hour this time, because here's the other side of it, I'll also price compare and see, I'm not going to sell this bag for, for the action. If I want to make $20 an hour, plus the, the materials and all this stuff, I'm going to price this bag out and it's never going to sell. But if I want to make $15 an hour on this particular bag, I might be able to price. So it's it's a varied hourly rate based on that. I'm going to interrupt you just for a second and say that I'm so happy that you're saying like 20 and 15 and not like five and three. Oh, because no, no, no. So many women <laughs> undervalue their time. Oh, yeah. And it's it's disheartening. So, yay. Yeah. Well, you know, $15 an hour is like the living wage. And if you can't, and, and that's not to say that I couldn't, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I couldn't support myself on this bag making business. I have other support and other areas of financial support, family and things like that at this point in time. But that's because I do it so part time because I'm full time mom. Right. And, you know, Jonathan, my son has autism. He's I have a lot of extra responsibilities. So I don't consider this like a full time business. It's something that I do as much as I can whenever I can. But it's not something that would support my my current financial lifestyle. Sure. I hope someday it will, but I also know that it's, 
it never will if I'm paying myself $3 an hour or $5 yes. an hour. And I also know that it may never will because of my life situation. Like I may never be in a position that I can have a full-time job. It's actually probably like the perfect thing for me because I couldn't at this point in my life, go out and just get a full-time job. I wouldn't be able to be there for my kids the way I actually really need to be there. It's not like I want to be with my kids. It's like, no, I, I'm the only one. I have to be there. Um, yes. So yeah, I would definitely say if you're doing a business where you're hand making stuff and you're paying yourself $3 an hour, then it's never going to be, even if it's, you're just starting out, you're never going to be able to, to catch up yes. and pay yourself what you need to, if you wanted it to be a full-time gig. Well, good. Good. Yay for you valuing yourself. <laughs> so I totally interrupted you oh, for no. that tangent. You've got the price of materials. You have your hourly, which is flexible because it makes mm-hmm. more sense to make $15 an hour to make than to make nothing. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really flexible with that. And and also sometimes it's it's because I buy a lot of my materials more like in bulk. It's also sometimes pretty hard to figure out how much I should really, when you look at these, when you look at these items, you're thinking, okay, I've got this much hardware on here and I should be charging this much for this much hardware on the bag. Not necessarily just how much I made in a wholesale price for that, you know, hardware separately. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you're looking at, you're looking at it and you're adding up those materials based on retail costs. Right. And then you're adding your, your hourly rate. And then really, if I were really serious about this and I'll say, I'm, I haven't done this. You should also be adding on a, an actual profit, like a business profit on top yep. of that and be considering wear and tear on your, your machine and considering, you know, the, all the things that supplies that don't go, that the customer doesn't walk away with, but that you had to buy to make the bag, like the sewing needles and the oil for your machine and things like that. Sure. And all of those things are like in the back of my mind, but I'll be honest and say, I'm not sitting down there with a spreadsheet and figuring all those things out. They're just kind of like, okay, well, if I'm paying this much an hour and I paid this much for for the materials, maybe I need to add a little bit here. And sometimes I maybe I'll need to take a little bit away because it seems like this bag isn't going to sell otherwise. And I'd rather it sell. And like I do a lot of orders for people who I know, people who contact me and they're like friends or their family and things like that. And half the time I'm slicing off a little bit just because I love them. <laughs> like I can't. Like... <laughs> so there's a little bit of that. It's very varied. It's so neat. Like your bag, whenever I see you post stuff, it just, it makes me smile. Oh, yay. Thank you. And I mostly don't care about bags at all. Um, <laughs> and it, that's good because I would have a lot of them. Yeah. That you I have a lot of because them. Because they're amazing. Thank you. My, my mom keeps asking me like, why do you keep using the bags you make? Like sell them. <laughs> and I'm like, I've got a pro, I've got quality control. Like... <laughs> test these things out (laughs) (laughs) so if it starts to become burdensome or has it has that happened since you've restarted and how do you work through that instead of getting a job at a convenience store where you're not going to make 15 or 20 dollars an hour no you are not so I think there's like two different kind of versions of burdensome that I guess that needs to be defined because if it starts to become burdensome like it was before where I didn't have the emotional ability to handle handle it all and in my head and and it was a serious situation then you know you stop because it's not healthy but there are other kinds of burdensome and that come with any job that you do anything 
and you don't just stop because it's a burden or it feels like a burden because that's not the point. So if it starts to become burdensome because I'm having a rough week where I'm getting a lot of customer emails asking me for things that just, I have to keep going back and saying like, no, I can't do that. Like, I can't, I'm not going to do that. This, some requests are a little outlandish uh, or, or I just know that if I do that, they're not going to want to pay what it's necessary to pay to get it done. Or like, oh man, I had a customer who had a bag break on them. Like, you know, that's really frustrating and difficult to deal with. You've, it's kind of a, a hit to your ego. It's a hit to your finances because, you know, you got to fix it or that kind of thing. All of those little things you press on and you, maybe you take a break, like you give yourself a break and make yourself a little wallet or um, <laughs> maybe you, uh, you know, you do something else, you know? But no, you just kind of press on. And and I guess because I don't get a whole lot of opportunity to do it very often, like I said, it's still very part-time for me, even though it seems like I'm doing it all the time because it's all I post about. It's really a very small portion of my time. So I don't feel like I have I get to do it enough to even feel that at this point yet. There was a time before I stopped when I was back when I was doing the lip sense stuff where I was like, I felt like I was running my own personal like sweatshop because it was just me. And I was blowing these things through the machine at like rates that you wouldn't believe because I was, and I was selling all the same bag. It was like production line style sewing. And I was definitely not paying myself enough because the, the market that I had at that point, I had so many people want them, but those women were not looking for like, they, they were trying to sell a product themselves using this bag. So they're looking for a bag that they don't have to pay a whole lot for that does the job that they need it to do. That's also aesthetically pleasing and everything else. So it's not like it's a custom order where people are looking for just the right bag for them or whatever. It was, it became like sort of competitive. A lot of people started doing it. A lot of people were making lip sense bags. It became a big thing within that, like, you know, niche or whatever you want to call it. And so I'm like, I'm like blowing through these bags and I'm making the same bag over and over. And I would go online and I would get on these groups and I would say, okay, you know, next, next order for, I got my, my prints. I would order a bunch of fabric and I would say, okay, I got my prints in. Like I have the golden black lips print. I have the purple and white floral print. I have the, this and that. And I post all the pictures and I'd say who wants what. And I would get comment after comment after comment of, of all this. And at that time, I didn't really have them set up to be like a, a good website set up or anything. So I would have to invoice them all and, and then just like start blowing through them again every round. And that became burdensome, like you would talk about, like when it starts to become too much, it's not fun anymore. And it's also not really financially lucrative. It was doing okay. It wasn't that it was like terrible, but it, it also, it wasn't necessarily worth the burden at that point. Like I said, again, at that point, maybe you stop and go get a job where you can just clock in and clock out and make the same amount of money and do it for fun, you know, (laughs) and just make a bag every once in a while. So I feel like right now that's where I'm at is I I don't, I haven't gotten to a point where it's not fun anymore. I'm still kind of like, oh, I, I wish I had more time to make this stuff or to think these things through. And there's so much more to it now. It's not just making that one bag over and over again. So I'm coming up with the sewing patterns and I'm designing the fab, the artwork on the fabric and I'm, and I'm doing the YouTube videos, the tutorials for the people who want to sew them. And so it's not just the making of the bag that's fun for me now. It's like a whole process. I'm trying to have my fingers in it from the very beginning. So when I look at that bag, I'm like, wow, I, I did all of that. Obviously there's parts you can't do, like you can't produce the fabric yourself 
in your home. You've got to order it and have it custom printed if you want to do the artwork on it. I, I mean, I guess I could. I think that my family, would. there would be like an uprising here if I tried to like <laughs> start doing the stuff further back in the process. But I try to have a hand in every part of the bag making process. And, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to make bags that aren't, that are designed by other people. I love to do that too. But I, I just like the idea of getting to be, it's like a piece of art then, you know, from beginning to end. And they are, they're beautiful. Thank you. So as you're sewing and selling these bags, what do you wish that people who just like come across your site and see your bags, what do you wish that they knew or understood? Is there anything? That's a good question. I have to think about that for a second. What do I wish they knew or understood? That the the entire process of what they're looking at, what they're seeing is like really different than what they see when they walk into Target and they look at a bag in in the like handbag section. I mean, not like in the, in that bags are constructed the way they're constructed, you know, but that the bag that they're looking at was something that I personally like thought up, wanted to do and and that I look at it as like a creative process, as a craft, as an art not as like just a bag that was produced to hold things that there's, you know, more to it than that. And I mean, in the end, they are just bags. That's the bottom line. But because there, because there's some humility in that it is just a bag, like there's nothing and any bag will do the job almost, you know, it's like, if I need to get from point A to point B and carry X, it doesn't have to be in this handmade piece of quote unquote art that this person is saying. But on the other hand, that there was something more to that bag than what they're looking at in the store, that there are limitations also that I have that mass produced bags don't have. There are pieces of equipment that I will just never have access to. There are types of material that are really hard for me to get and that I'm not going to get for the prices that, you know, companies that mass produce things do that, that it's an entirely different process, but that in the end, what they're carrying is, is something, you know, like a, a traveling piece of artwork basically. Well, and there's totally a market for that, right? Because oh yeah, there's high-end bags that Absolutely. are even beyond that people pay Yeah, what I think is stupid amounts of money. Yeah. You know, I have a, a mentor, a bag-making mentor who I kind of, I saw some of her bags earlier on several years ago in like a, a sewing group online. And I was like, and they were made of leather. And I was like, I got to know like how she's making these bags. They're so beautiful. And so well made. And she would just post pictures every once in a while. And I reached out to her and I will say I've learned like most, a lot of my, what I know now I've learned from her, like her bag making and she sells her bags for, she does not underprice. When you go to her shop, she's like, this is how much my bag costs. Also, you're going to wait a long time for this bag because it's all like custom ordered and everything. And you're going to be fine with it because this is how long it's going to take me. And this is how much it costs. And she has customers that come back to her over and over to get a new bag. And they're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for these beautiful leather pieces of art. And the way she looks at it is she's like, when, when I give it to them, I, I put, I gave it my best. They're going to get the absolute best piece of work that I could do. It's going to last them a really long time. You know, it's going to be the kind of thing that they're going to be able to take out and use again five years from now, 10 years from now. She tries to use all the best practices. She doesn't undervalue her work. And there's no other, there's no other bags like hers. I mean, we've all tried to kind of emulate hers. People have tried, 
but you know, they're hers and it's obvious that they're hers. And she's been very gracious about giving away some of her secrets and her, you know, her methods and things like that. But ultimately there's a market and they own, they go for her bags. And if I tried to do her bags, it wouldn't be the same, you know? When going back to talking about art and how any bag could get you from here to there with your stuff in the bag, there's very few people like I own some bags, right? Cause I carry stuff, but I still want it to look how I want it to look. Yeah. Right. Even if I'm not a bag person, I'm still not going to carry something that I think is hideous. Exactly. Yeah. You want it to kind of be a reflection of you. And that, and that's kind of the challenge in custom orders is, you know, I can make bags all day long that I love and that are a piece of art or whatever you want to call it. And I keep saying that. And I feel like I should tell you that I, I never considered myself an artist. You know, I was a musician. I went to school for music. I never went to school for the visual arts of any kind. I certainly don't feel like I could even pretend to say like that I know anything about actual art, but I just feel like that's what it is when I'm doing it. That's what it feels like. Like I'm making a piece of art, like I'm drawing a picture or like I'm, you know, that kind of thing. It absolutely is art. Absolutely. Whether you went to school for it or not, doesn't matter. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. But I do feel like I need to put in that caveat because I don't want anyone to think that I actually like have, I don't have a background in art. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I know what I like. So I, I do what I like. So when you get a custom order and that person wants that bag, people can get very particular about what they want. And it's kind of funny because you think, well, I'm so obsessed with making bags and I love making bags and I love making them the way I like them. But if I get a custom order, why am I getting a custom order? It's because there was literally no bag out there in the store that was exactly what they wanted. And they have, they have certain requirements and things that they like, both with function and with the way that it looks. And sometimes they're like very much not me. So that kind of is a challenge. It's like, you know, if I were making this bag, I would want it this way and that way and this way. But this person just wants this. Settle down, Nicole. They don't want all these other things. Like they just want this. And it's confusing to me sometimes because it's like you're, you're ordering a custom bag, but you're not really like taking advantage of all the custom options that you could have. But some, some people, that's not what they want. They just want, I want it to reflect me. And I would not carry all these other custom options. I would carry this, you know? Right. So. Yes. So is there anything that we missed that you're like, I really wanted to talk about this thing <laughs> and you haven't asked me yet and I haven't worked it in anywhere. <laughs> you know, that's funny because I don't really like, I don't, I didn't have anything I really wanted, wanted to talk about that I thought about talking about because when you, when you asked me to be on the podcast, it was, I had the same reaction as like, I do the video tutorials for sewing for people, right? And my, I don't tell anyone about them. Like I don't tell people on my Facebook page or even on my business page where I sell the bags. I don't say anything about them. I don't post them really because that's not, they're there to buy bags. Why would they want to watch them being made? Or why would my like friend from, you know, my old friend from high school on Facebook want to watch me like sewing a bag? I don't think about it. And then the other day, my brother was like, oh, I watched one of your videos. And, you know, it's really cool. And I was like, why? Like, you don't sew bags. <laughs> um, and he was like, yeah, but it was cool to like learn about the process and everything else and whatever. I was like, oh, OK. And then when you came, I was like, well, what am I going to talk about making bags? Like, who wants, why does anyone want to know? <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it'll be fun to chat. But no, I, I don't think there's anything specific that I wanted to talk about. Okay. <laughs> you know, I went through the workshop in the fall where I wrote my book mm -hmm. and 
one of the things that I loved about that workshop was seeing the process of so many different types of artists. Mm -hmm. So for example, like I remember very clearly there was a man who was a painter and for a while he would show, he's like, well, this is how much of my painting I got done today. And this Mm -hmm. is what I did here. And this is how I chose these colors and which is super basic for him, I'm Mm -hmm. sure. But I see blank canvases in the store and I see completed paintings wherever I see them. And I don't see the process. Right. Unless I'm painting it and we don't need to see that process. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a painter. And so that was super interesting. Yeah. To me. Yeah. And not just to me, I mean, to to many of us. And so it would be super interesting to hear people talk about what they do to get the little behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think about it that way, but then I'm like, you know, I've gotten into so many things like designing the fabric that itself and everything else by watching someone else go through the process and thinking how cool it was. So <laughs> if maybe, maybe in, instead of the message being like, buy my bags, it would be like, learn to make a bag. Like it's very cool, you know, or, or learn to sew or learn to paint or because I, I get bored really easily. So I think that's why my, my process keeps changing. Like dig the bag wasn't always dig the bag. It keeps going through all these different versions of itself because you get bored and you just want to try something new or do something different. So I I can't promise that the bag that I'm making today is going to be something I ever make again, you know, or want to do. Target doesn't promise that either. So no, it's true. It's true. But I do think that it's cool to be able to now to start to like get the process down, like either on video or writing out the sewing patterns and stuff like that. So if I never feel like making it again, it's there for other people who want to try it, give it a shot. Or if I never feel like making it again until 10 years from now, and there's no way I'm going to remember what I did, I can go back and look and be like, oh, that's what I did. I do that now. You know, I'll get the process written down and then I won't make them for a couple of months and then someone will order it and I'll be like, oh, I don't even remember how to make that any, anymore. I better go watch my YouTube video. <laughs> See what I did. <laughs> well, if nothing else in my life, I've learned that, oh, I'll remember this is the biggest lie I tell myself. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's the worst. <laughs> Everything from like, I'll remember to go grab that gallon of milk that we're missing to I'll remember how to make this intricate bag that I've only ever made once that I <laughs> did on the fly. But sure, I'll remember, you know, what seam allowances I used and, you know, how on the measurements and everything else. No, I think, yes, I tell myself that lie all the time. I'll also always remember the password that I chose for this thing. And <laughs> it's like yes. ridiculous. Because I never do, never have I ever remembered a password that I chose for something. And I always just tell myself that I'm going to remember it and I don't. (laughs) It has been so fun talking to you. Tell us where we can find your bags. Okay, you can actually go to www.digthebag.com because though I have an Etsy shop, I kind of converge all of my stuff, different things that I do there. So there would be a link to ready to ship bags. There would be a link to how to custom order a bag. There would be a link to my digital sewing patterns if you're interested in doing that and all of that stuff. So I would say go there. Etsy is, I think if you wanted to go straight to Etsy would be etsy.com slash shop slash dig the bag. And most of the bags that I have listed there are actually mask bags. I've kind of kept that. I mean, there's some that are not, but I've kind of kept that very much like a lot of people order the same bag there. So you'll see a lot of the bags specifically designed around holding your masks and keeping them clean. 
Great. Yay. Yay. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. It was great. Our editor is Heat G-Check, co-editor Rocket Kid, produced by Heat G-Check. To learn more about me, Heat, or more about this podcast, go to OrdinaryChaosPodcast.com. Sound design and recording by Keith Kelly. You can learn more about Keith and his work at www.KeithBKelly.com. Cobrain Storm by Rocket Kid and Catgirl. Ordinary Chaos is an ad-free podcast. Because ads are annoying. To support the podcast, go to OrdinaryChaosPodcast.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening! listening. <laughs> <laughs>